The reading today is from Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21, and can be found in the Bibles uh, 1,175. So that's Ephesians 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Good. Well, I wonder whether you'll be making any New Year's resolutions. I gave up making New Year's resolutions a long time ago. Um, these are the results of a poll published in The Guardian. You probably can't read that very well, but so I'll, I'll read it out. This was published last December. And um, when asked to choose from a list which, if any, New Year's resolutions people were planning to make, uh, people gave the following answers. 36% said not planning any. 35% said they wanted to lose weight. 33% said they wanted to get fitter. 31% more healthy, eat more healthy. 15% said take more care of appearance. 14% uh, said see more of friends and family. And then there was a very small ones about drinking less or smoking less and other health-related resolutions. Uh, I wonder if any of those sounds familiar to you. Uh, maybe you don't make resolutions, you just sort of hope, <laughs> just sort of wish for some of those things. But you know if you make a resolution, you won't keep it. Just don't give them the label. And part of the reason we don't make resolutions is because we know we won't keep them. Uh, here's the results for another poll, again in The, the Guardian. Of the 63% of UK adults who failed to keep New Year's resolutions... Here's how long their last one, the last broke, the, how long it was before they broke their last one, okay? 43% didn't last a month. 66% lasted a month or less. 80% of people had broken their resolution within three months. And 86% within the year. So 14% of people managed to keep their New Year's resolutions. Turns out we're not very good at keeping New Year's resolutions, are we? That's been my experience. It's not surprising, is it, that after all the excess of Christmas, our New Year's resolutions tend to revolve around health, fitness, appearance. 
And I wonder if, as we enter 2017, we share the same level of concern for the church's health and the church's appearance. Because Paul in Ephesians seems to think that's vitally important. And he says it's vitally important because of what the church is called to do. Ephesians is a great letter from Paul to a church or churches. And it's a great letter about God's grace. God's grace that has formed the church, that's brought two uh, different groups of people and uh, reconciled them together, Jews and Gentiles. They've become, if you look at chapter 2, verse 19, no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. They've become one household, a family. The gospel has broken down the two, chapter 2, verse 14, the dividing wall of hostility. And this church, this church family, reveals the eternal plan and wisdom of God. The eternal plan and wisdom of God. Just look with me at verses, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his, to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. See what Paul's saying? He's saying the church family testifies the eternal plan and the wisdom of God. So St Mary's, the local expression of the global church, is a church family that testifies to the eternal plan of God and to his wisdom. And so because that's what the church does, Paul encourages the church in, in Ephesus and surrounding areas, and us this morning as we gather together here, to walk together, to grow together, that we might better testify to God's grace and wisdom and eternal purposes. What a great plan, goal to have as we begin 2017. And so the church in Ephesus and we are to be a church that walks together. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. More literally, the word live is walk the church are to walk together. And just notice the list of applications that Paul gives in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see, this family is to be a family that walks together. All these implications are relational. They're about how we relate to each other. We're to be a family that walks together. We're to be a family that grows together. Just uh, flick on to chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And Paul talks about how uh, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and, and by the cunning and craftiness. And his point is, What's going to stop that? Well, earlier on, he talks about how he gives the church some to be apostles, some to be prophets, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. 
We're to be a church family that walks together and grows together. Jane and I um, went, popped into London, as is quite easy to do from Basingstoke, yeah, over the, in December for our anniversary. And one of the things that strikes me about the London skyline is just how quickly it changes and grows. Every time you go, you see a new building, a new skyscraper that's reaching up into the sky. And that is a picture of God's plan for his church. Like a skyscraper, brick by brick, or metal by metal, God's church is to grow. You see that in chapter 2. Christ is the cornerstone. And in order to grow, as, as I was saying, Paul has gifted, God has gifted the church with apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers so that we might reach the fullness of Christ, we might grow to maturity. God's plan for his church is that we, we grow in knowledge so that we might become mature. Knowledge is never the goal. Knowledge is always to lead us somewhere. And so we start 2017. And in order for the church to be a healthy church, to grow in maturity, I wonder whether perhaps our resolutions of church family should be to walk together and to grow together. But as we know, keeping resolutions isn't easy, is it? It's hard. And being church family is hard, let's be honest. Walking together, growing together isn't always easy. When I was up in Derby, uh, I had to lead a Bible study on this passage. And we were um, given the questions, which made leading it quite simple and easy to read them out. Uh, But what made the passage hard was some of the implications of it. This was one of the questions that we were given. The active hostility of disagreements and confrontation is perhaps easier to spot than the passive hostility of avoidance and superficial relationships and unspoken irritation. Which are you most prone to and how can knowing the gospel help us grow? That's some question, isn't it? (laughs) Just have a little look at that. I'll read that again. The active hostility of disagreement and confrontation is perhaps easier to spot than the passive hostility of avoidance and superficial relationships and unspoken irritation. Which are you most prone to and how can knowing the gospel help us grow? Now, unsurprisingly, we were really challenged by that in our home group. In fact, convicted by that question. We might not be the outspoken type. We might come across as the really lovely, servant-hearted, gentle member of St. Mary's. And yet, what bubbles away under the surface is an irritation at the failings of others. A resentment of others. Or perhaps even an unwillingness to get involved in the messiness of other people's lives. Because that's costly and hard work. I wonder if you'll allow me to ask, do you ever turn up on a Sunday and um, perhaps just subtly try and avoid people? Do you moan and grumble about, about people, about the music, the youth, the way things are done, the decisions the leadership makes? Are you open and honest with people? Are there people in St. Mary's that you, if you're honest, still 
hold a grudge against and haven't forgiven. People who've let you down. See, in the church in Ephesus, Jew and Gentile have been reconciled together. They've been restored in relationship. And yet, just like the church in Ephesus, we at St. Mary's fall so far short of that unity of the faith in Christ that we are supposed to share. And so, for that reason, from chapter 4 onwards, Paul is going to help the church in Ephesus to really think about how they live out that unity. But before he does that, he's going to encourage them to pray together. There should be a church that prays together. And that takes us to chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. See, Paul saying, he's seeing the, the church is the wisdom and the, the, the revelation, the testimony of the wisdom and eternal purpose of God. It's a massive challenge for us. And so he says, right, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to drop to my knees and pray. Uh, the commentators on this passage suggest that chapter 3, 1 to 13, is actually a bit of a digression from Paul's main argument. And so, uh, if you notice chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, and then that appears again in chapter 14, sorry, chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason, I. And so, if you like, I think what some commentators say is that that bit, first half of chapter 3 is in brackets, and so what Paul's saying continues on from the, the very beginning of the chapter. And so Paul's prayer here is about growing the church. That is why he prays. And so unsurprisingly, verse 19, Paul's prayer is this, that the church might know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That is, they might grow to maturity. And Paul prays that because he knows that the church will grow as they prayerfully depend on God's power. That's the, that's the prayer in chapter 3. Paul's prayer is one that asks for God's power to be at work in the church because he recognises that all the resources for growth, all the resources for the church coming to maturity, are found in Christ. You see, when you need something, it makes sense to go to the person who has the resources, doesn't it? If you're an average to poor Premier League team who has aspirations to win the Premier League title, there's only one man you need, isn't there? Claudio Ranieri. <laughs> He's got the resources. He hasn't got the resources to do it two seasons in a row. <laughs> so you wouldn't employ him two years in a row. But you'd hire him because he's got the resources. He's the man to go to. Likewise, Paul prays, he prays the one who has the resources to grow the church. Verse 15, he prays the one from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Paul's saying, look, this prayer is to the one who has always been in the business of growing families. Verse 16, he prays to the one who answers prayer out of his glorious riches. When it comes to answering prayer, providing us with what we need to grow the church, God is never bankrupt. 
living in loving unity and relationship with others is not easy. And it won't be any easier in 2017. It is only the richness of resources that God has that will help us to do it. You see, it's New Year, isn't it? And many of us will resolve to do things. We'll resolve to be better, to try not to get angry, to be more patient, to bite our lips. But I wonder how many of us will be willing to resolve this morning that actually what we need to do is recognise our sin and recognise our inability to put things right ourselves. How many of us, when faced with difficult relationships, will drop to our knees before our Heavenly Father and ask for His power, His glorious riches to be at work in us, changing us and moulding us and shaping us, growing us into the church family that we should be. And when you pray, we can know that there is no relationship that God doesn't have the resources to reconcile. You see, Paul's prayer in this passage is for God's power to be at work. And he prays for two things. The power of the Spirit in your inner being, firstly, and then secondly, the power to comprehend God's love. So firstly, the power of the Spirit in your inner being. Just look at verse 16 and 17a. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Out of the heart, out of our hearts, flow our thoughts and our emotions and our desires and longings. And so Paul prays that Christ might dwell in our hearts by the Spirit. Now, the observant of you will think, well, hang on a minute, that's a bit of a funny thing to pray, isn't it? When Paul has already said at the end of chapter 2 that God's church, God's people, are a house in which the Spirit does dwell. So it seems like Paul is praying something, praying for something that they already have. How can that be? Well, Paul's prayer is, he recognises that yes, the Spirit does dwell in God's people. But Paul's prayer is that the Spirit would take up residence in our hearts. Um, I noticed there's a, a few students back this morning. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of visiting a student house recently. Um, perhaps one inhabited just by six or seven lads. It is a sight and a smell to behold. Um, I, uh, I tried to avoid it when I worked for UCCF. I just couldn't, <laughs> she got a bit older, I just couldn't handle it. Um, or, you know, if you were a student or are a student, um, you know, that feeling when you finally move out of your student house and you move into your own place. You get the keys for the first time, something you're renting or you've bought, and you walk through the door. But as you walk through the door, it feels a bit disappointing because it doesn't feel like home. It's just a house. But slowly over time, what you do is you make it feel like home. You change the decorations, you paint the walls, you put up pictures. And gradually the house begins to feel more like you. It reflects you. It's, it's no longer your house. It's no longer just a roof over your head. It's, it's home. It's where you belong. And I think that's a, an illustration of what Paul's praying for here. Is Paul, Paul is praying that Christ, by his Spirit, would 
take up residence in our hearts. That he would find himself at home. That Jesus, by his spirit, would become more central in shaping our emotions, our thoughts, our desires, our longings. That our hearts would more reflect the one who lives in them. I wonder if um, when someone comes to visit you, you ever have to say, don't go in that room. That's the messy one. Don't go in there. Maybe you've got that room right now. You've had guests over Christmas and you shove everything in that room and you close the door. You don't want people to see it. Most of us have that room. Maybe not in your home, but in your hearts. It's the room of our heart that we've never really wanted people to see. And if we're honest, it's the room of our heart that we've never really wanted to clear out. Because we quite like the mess. It's perhaps the room where the grudges and the resentment or the bitterness towards other church family, members of church family, live. And we've never opened the door because if we're honest, we like it. See, when it comes to a loving unity of faith in our relationships with other people, we think that our problem is other people. It's not. Our problem is ourselves. It's our own hearts. See, as we begin 2017, I wonder if you're bold enough to pray for yourself and for others that God, by his Spirit, would open up that room of your heart and help you clear out the mess. Because that's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. The power of the Spirit in your inner being. Well, here's the second thing that Paul prays for, the power to comprehend God's love. Verse 17, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. See, as Jesus takes up residence in our hearts by his Spirit, we become rooted and established in God's love. And Paul's prayer is that we would grow in our comprehension of that love. You see, you can't be a Christian, can you, without knowing that Christ loves you. But Paul's prayer is that you would know that love more deeply. We can never, never plumb the depths of God's love. The infinite God has infinite love for us, and it's seen most clearly on a cross. God's love is beyond measurement, it's beyond comparison. But the more we grasp it, the more we will grow to maturity together as God's people. And knowing God's love is not based on our feelings. Our feelings go up and down. Mine do, just ask my wife. Like a yo-yo. But God's love is more It's profoundly more than just an intellectual knowledge. 
It's profoundly experiential. We know that in our relationships, don't we? We just have those moments, perhaps you've had it with family over Christmas, where you just feel incredibly loved. A hug, or a kind word, or a moment with family, and you just feel a sense of love that you can't explain. Why would it be any different with God? The more we know Christ's love, the more we find ourselves responding in love of worship of him. And here's the thing, the more that we know Christ's love, the less we need to manipulate others or to use others in order to feel loved. Instead, we're free to love and serve each other. Uh, and knowing this love of Christ is it's not just about me, it's a group effort, it's a church family effort. Paul prays, doesn't he, that uh, we or they, the Ephesians, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how long and wide and deep is the love of Christ. John Stott, as ever, says it brilliantly. He says it takes the whole people of God to know the whole love of God. The whole people of God to know the whole love of God. And that love of God is supremely demonstrated and known at the cross, as I've said already. But we also experience it in part through the love and generosity and teaching and encouragement and the care of God's people in our church family. And see, Paul's prayer in this passage is that God would be powerfully at work in his church, growing them to maturity, into a loving unity. And let's be honest, as we look around St Mary's, that can feel like a big ask, can't it? Because when we look at our own hearts, it can feel like a massive ask. And I wonder if that's why Paul finishes his prayer as he does. So look at the ends, verse 20. We pray to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations. See, God can grow his church more than we can ask, more than we can even imagine. God can do things, grow us together as a church family at St Mary's in ways that we can't even imagine. He can change us more than we can even contemplate in our own minds. And his power is at work in us. And he will complete the work he started because it's his glory at stake. The glory of Christ Jesus. Let me um, finish with this. As we begin 2017, God's purpose for his church globally and for us locally is that we might be a church family that reveals the eternal plan and wisdom of God. To be a church family that walks together. To be a church family that grows together. And if we want to see that in St Mary's this year, then we need to be a church family that prays together. For ourselves and for each other. And in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, Paul shows us the great riches and wonderful truths, the things that we should be praying for each other 
and for ourselves over the course of this year. So why don't we do that now? Let's pray. Loving Father, we pray that out of your glorious riches you might strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we might be rooted and established in love and might have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.